Well, good morning. This is funny. We're, we're getting into this part of the season where there's quite a disparity between the temperature up here and you guys. Today, the heat's kind of nice. <clears throat> so my question to open us up today, have you ever been disappointed by the truth? Yeah? Ever been disappointed by the truth? And I'm not talking about one of those where you get a neat little insight. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. No, I mean when you're, when you're deeply invested in something that's really important to you and you find out that you're wrong. Have you ever been there? So a few months ago, I had a disagreement and a conflict with a coworker. And to be specific, I have permission to name, I had a, I had a disagreement with Kurt. <laughs> Which is why that I love you on the way up means all the more. <laughs> So I, I'm not typically a, a conflictual type person. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I like to get along. I, I'm a peacemaker. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 9, if you're, uh, if you're familiar with that language. Any 9s out there? Woo, yeah. Uh, and so, so it's few and far between when I get in some sort of conflict. Uh, but because of COVID, we are all a couple steps closer to completely losing our minds, right? Yeah. Let me hear an Amen. So thus, my friend Kurt and I found ourselves in, in a conflict. He was upset at me because I had not followed through on something he, he thought I was going to do. And then I was upset at him because he was upset at me because I didn't think it was part of my purview. I, I, I'm wrong. Kurt's the boss. So we exchanged emails. We exchanged some texts. And finally, we decided that it would be best to meet face-to-face. And we found ourselves right out here, right? right out here in the parking lot with a very tense conversation, and we both knew exactly what we were thinking. And it was civil, but it was a tense conversation. And we left, and I was livid. I was so mad. I, I, felt, <laughs> I, I, I felt so overwhelmed by that conversation, and I was just overwhelmed with everything, and I was livid, so mad. And it was one of those times where I really wanted someone in my corner. You ever been like that? You know, I want someone on my side. I want someone to talk to. So I called my good friend, Jason Nelson. Jason's at the soundboard right now. He's making all this. uh, He's one of the reasons that all of this has been happening out here. But Jason is a great listener. And I have found over the years uh, with our friendship that he has proven to be very wise as well. So I called Jason and just verbally vomited all over him through the phone, all over the place. He took it like a champ. It was great. And in his wise Jason way, he said to me, wow, Joel, that's rough. I'm sorry. But I agree with Kurt. You're in the wrong here. (laughs) Oof. Big oof. I'm sitting there like deer in headlights. What? What are you talking about? Jason told me not what I wanted to hear, right? Jason did not tell me what I wanted to hear, but Jason told me what I needed to hear. And it was ultimately good. It was a good thing. But unfortunately, in the bigger picture here, uh, that's not often how relationships go, is it? In relationships, whether marriage, friendships, uh, co-workers, family, relationships take a lot of work, right? And it's hard. And sometimes when it's hard, we choose the wrong route. We choose to avoid. Oftentimes we choose to avoid the problem. 
try to sweep it under the rug, think like it'll, maybe it'll go away. Sometimes we'll try to avoid the person, pull a Dwight Schrute and, and shun them, as if they'll just magically be out of, their, out of our lives. But that's not the right way for us to go about these things. And the truth is that when we behave these way, our relationships will not grow. They will suffer. And this is often why you've probably seen in your life, why you've seen friendships dissolve. This is probably why, why you can have an acquaintance for years and never really know them. And maybe you've been in this position, but this is why you can attend a church for years and still feel disconnected. And the solution is we need to learn how to lovingly participate in our relationships. Let's lovingly participate in our relationships. Because if we don't lovingly participate in our relationships, they will suffer. And the scary thing is, it's not only our human relationships, but our relationship with God will be stunted as well if we don't lovingly participate. Now the good news is that God has shown us how to do this, right? In our story at the beginning, Jason lovingly participated in our friendship. And what I wanted at the moment was someone to agree with me. I wanted someone to be on the phone with me and say, yeah, that stinks, Joel. Oh, that guy stinks. But instead, what did Jason do? He risked himself. He risked our relationship. And he wounded me. And it brought great life. And I'll tell you what happened as a result of that. As a result, I became a better person. I became a better friend employee, husband, pastor. Uh, It led me to look at all of my responsibilities in a completely different light. It led me to a great book, Extreme Ownership, which I would highly recommend. And I'll tell you the other thing it did. It hugely strengthened our friendship. And we all... We all have this misconception often that we all deal with at some point, at some time in our lives. We have this misconception that if we upset a person, oh, they might leave us. Oh, if I make her mad, she might run away and leave. But the truth is, what do we all want? We all have this deep inner need for both sides of all of our relationships to lovingly participate. And that's what we all want. That's what we all need. And the good news is that God has shown us many ways that we can do that. Because God wants our relationships to be strong and vibrant. He wants your relationships to be a place that you can be refined and satisfied and be loved. And today, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look through the Bible at a few ways that God has shown us how we can lovingly participate in our relationships. So open your Bibles to Proverbs. That's in the Old Testament. It's kind of in the middle-ish. Proverbs 27, verse 17 is what we're going to start with. And you may have grown up hearing this verse before. Maybe you've heard it as an adage, even if you didn't grow up in church. But it goes like this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, I did some looking at this. I did some reading on this because I'm not a big knife person. Uh, Some of you may be. But typically, you sharpen a knife with a sharpening stone, right, if you're familiar with that. But you can use metal to sharpen metal. What you cannot do, you can't sharpen a knife with another sharp knife. 
because uh, it doesn't work that well. You're going to have two very smooth blades passing over each other, and there's not a lot of friction to create much change. See where I'm going with that? But if you have a piece of metal that is maybe harder and a different texture, then you can take that knife you're starting with and make it perform just a little bit better. And it's the same thing with people. What happens when you put two people together that always agree with each other? It might be a lot of fun, but there isn't going to be a whole lot of character development there, right? There's no friction. And friction is what we need. If we want to be sharpened in this way that Proverbs is talking about, what we need is friends who are different from us. We need friends who will challenge us. We need friends and leaders and mentors who are as strong as steel in their faith, but whose shape is different enough to provide us some sort of sanctifying resistance in our lives. That's what we want. That's what I want. And this can only happen, though, when there's people. It can only happen if you're around people. And so that's your first blank. We need to be present. If you're following along in your notes today, be present. We have to be around people. Did you know that in 2018, Great Britain uh, instituted a minister of loneliness in uh, in their governmental structure? Did you know this? So along with their minister of defense, minister of finance, they now have a minister of loneliness. And the reason they did this was because a couple of years before, they conducted a survey of all the UK. And their findings were scary. The study revealed that 9 million, 9 million people, that's more than our state, 9 million people reported that they felt lonely all the time. This is the one that got me. 200,000. 200,000 elderly said that they hadn't had a conversation with anyone in 30 days. 30 days. I can't make it an hour. (laughs) Some of you introverts are thinking, it's the promised land. Everybody to Great Britain. While all of us extroverts are dying a little inside, right? So regardless of however you feel about this, whatever you feel or think about this, that is bad for our emotional and mental state. It's not good for us to be alone. God said it in the very beginning, right? It's not good for man to be alone. We need to be around people. We need to be with others. Let's be present. And at our church, at North County Christ the King, this looks like a few things. Two that I'll mention is one, come to service. Come to a weekend service. I'm talking to you, you're already here, so good job. But you know, we've got our 9 o'clock and our 11 o'clock. Be here and be engaged. And the second thing would be join a small group. Steve and Sarah are our ministers of, of loneliness here, in a sense. Ministers of small group, maybe? Yeah. Uh, they are in charge of small groups. They are working hard to get things going in the next couple weeks, right? And so there's a booth over here. Uh, you can visit and talk with Sarah. That would be great. Uh, if you're a little worried about what it might look like to lead a small group, we have training for you that you can do on your phone that takes about 20 minutes. It's a minimal investment for something that could yield huge change in your life. So if you're not around people, uh, let's do what we need to. I encourage you, let's do what we need to to change that so we can start being around people more often. Now, let me ask, okay, by a show of hands, uh, how many of us have ever been a part of a school project? Remember? When, yeah, you, <laughs> I, I, I saw a wave of dread of your memories just go, 
you know, where the, where the teacher numbered off one, two, three, four, and then you have to go and get in a group of all your, all the kids with the same number. Chances are when you were in that group, you took on one of three roles. A, you were the one who took charge, told people what to do, and made sure it was getting done. B, or two, you faithfully did your work, and you supported and helped. Or C, you were the kid, that kid who did nothing, and everybody hated it, and everybody wanted to tell on you, but nobody wanted to get a bad grade, so nobody said anything. You can picture that kid right now, can't you? You can see him. We would have had an A plus if it weren't for him. What was the problem with that kid? He wasn't active, or she. That's not fair. He or she wasn't active. They didn't participate. They didn't contribute. They weren't active. And how did that make the rest of your team feel? Lousy. What did everybody like about the other people? They were engaged and they were active and they did their part and they affected change. And that's what we want to do, right, church? That's what we want to be. We want to first be present and then we want to be active. That's your next blank. We want to be active. And we're going to look through a few different ways how God tells us we can be active. So turn to your, in your Bibles to Colossians 3.16. Paul was encouraging the church. And he said this in Colossians 3.16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with, a thank, with thankful hearts. God says we should teach. Now let me put you at ease because I'm pretty sure a few of you just blacked out at the mention of me telling you you should teach because I know there's a good portion of us who are getting ready to be homeschool teachers and you had never planned on that before. So come back to me. Wake up. We're okay. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm, this is what this does not mean. This does not mean you need to have a lesson plan to teach in your relationships. This does not mean you need to grade or critique. This does not mean that you will have state regulations that you need to follow in order to teach within your relationships. That is not what Paul is talking about. Teaching is simply to instruct or to give knowledge all for the purpose of building up one another's faith. Teaching is imparting knowledge all for the purpose of building up one another's faith. And it can be as complex or as simple as you like it to be. Uh, It can be as simple as this. Did anybody read in a devotional this morning? Did you read anything interesting? Great. Share that. Boom, teach. It can be as simple as that. It can be as complex as developing a class and, and leading a bunch of people through that over several weeks. But it's simply giving information that you have all for the purpose of growing each other's, each other's faith. Uh, for instance, uh, kind of like what Kurt was talking about, I've struggled with anxiety for years. And so this last year, what I did was I, I put it into a class and I've taught the class twice. I'm just using my experience and trying to give information based on what I have, what I know. The other thing Paul mentioned in this verse was to counsel. To counsel. I believe there is great value in counseling. I have been the recipient of great counseling, and it has really helped me in my life, helped me in my journey. Uh, But even if you're not a licensed therapist, 
you too can counsel as well. There are some simple things that you can do. Because uh, to counsel is simply uh, to give somebody advice, especially when that advice has been requested. And that's kind of the key. It's to give advice when the advice has been requested. If you're always giving advice before it's requested, that's not counseling, that's annoying. (laughs) And will actually have the opposite effect of what you are trying to achieve. So wait, 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 wait. Uh, Kurt shared this, uh, I want to read to you. Kurt shared this with me from his devotional the other day. Uh, It said, professional counseling has only been around for 120 years. And professional Christian counseling for only 60 years. What did people do before therapy? Well, they counseled one another. Now, I'm not against professional counseling, but I will say there is much that can be accomplished by counseling one another. Someone said 80% of counseling is just listening, just letting someone process their problem or their pain. And I think that's true, as do I. Then praying for one another and giving encouragement and a little guidance, all based on biblical principles. So folks, you can counsel. And a huge part of counseling is simply listening, just listening. And Kurt often talks about it here. We talk about active listening. It's important to not just listen, but to to do active listening. And a few things you can employ to help with active listening is have eye contact, uh, show that you're paying attention. You know, you can nod and even say that, "Mm mm-hmm. Husbands were really good at that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But don't do it like that. But we can offer feedback. You can mirror emotions. So whatever emotions that uh, the person is expressing, try to mirror that back to them. So like, wow, that must be really frustrating. Or wow, you seem really excited. Things like that. Make it personal, making it yours so it doesn't sound really canned and fake. But those are ways that we can help counsel. Listen and show the person you're listening to Uh, that that you're listening to, that you're paying attention. Next, turn to 1 Thessalonians, say that five times fast, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. Paul tells us, he says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. And in the same vein, Uh, Paul tells us to build each other up. Uh, In Romans 14, 19, he says, So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. So encourage, build each other up. Another word that you might be familiar with is inspire. We want to inspire people. And again, this is all for the purpose of encouraging one another in their faith. Uh, This is like being a cheerleader or a good coach. Uh, Let me see you by hands or if you're online, uh, type in the chat today. How many of us ever participated in Little League? Anybody play Little League? I played LYS here. I loved it. Chances are you're thinking of one of those coaches that you had. And hopefully you're thinking of one of those good coaches that you had. That was the coach who was always encouraging, always trying to spur you on to do better. The coach who was always, you know, proud of you no matter how hard you were trying, or even, no matter how, how far ahead your team might have been because he knew that you were trying super hard. That's the kind of coach that we want to be to each other. And we have the opportunity to help people, you know, maybe see somebody who's good at something and simply tell them that. Hey, you did a great job setting the break room up for Bill's lunch. Simple things like that. Or maybe it's somebody who you know is working on a goal 
and they're struggling, then you know you can encourage them and tell them to keep going. Like, hey, you got this. Don't lose sight. You got this. Encouraging. Build each other up. Now, one caveat I will bring on, uh, on encouragement is make sure that it's specific. It's very helpful to make sure that your encourage, encouragement is specific. So rather than just saying, hey, great job, be more like, hey, great job signing up the tents today. Something specific. I had a story that was given to me at college by a guy who came in and spoke to our class. He was a consultant, and uh, he told us at one time where he was walking into the grocery store that he was consulting for. And as he was walking in, Bill, I think is his name, was passing him by. And he saw Bill, and he said, hey, good morning, Bill. You're doing a great job. I appreciate you. Bill left, and this guy keeps going. He goes back to the office, finds out that Bill had just been fired. So no longer was that encouragement helpful, but it was kind of hurtful and a bit of an insult and a twist of the knife, right? So be careful when you're encouraging. Make sure that it's specific. That's going to make your encouragement go all the further. And finally, one thing that we can do to be active in our relationships is found in Ephesians 4.15. Paul says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Speak the truth in love. Here's what this means for us. So often we think that to truly love somebody, we have to shield them from the truth. But that's really, really wrong. To truly love somebody, we lovingly share the truth with them even when it hurts. To speak the truth in love in our relationships is to tell someone what they need to hear, even if it's not what they want to hear. And that is scary. Guys, I'm a pastor. I love to counsel and help people. And that scares me. That's uncomfortable to have to do that, isn't it? So just know that you're not alone if you get butterflies in your stomach, even with me mentioning this. But let me tell you how we can get through it. The key to speaking the truth in love is making sure that your motive is to help the other person. We want to share things with people because it can help them. This is not the opportunity to express your opinion or squash something that annoys you. That's not what speaking the truth in love is. And unfortunately, that's happened a lot. This verse over the years has been abused And people have said nasty things all in the name of Ephesians 4.15. That's not how it's supposed to be. Speaking the truth in love, it's all about helping others see the things that they might be blind to, the things that they might not quite yet get, they might not quite understand. It's helping them see that. And it must always be for their good. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. I, I would rather hear something fruitful, though hurtful, from someone who loves me as my best interest, rather than a bunch of really nice things from people who don't have my best interest. If you go back to our opening story, that's exactly what my friend Jason did for me. He told me not what I wanted to hear, but he told me what I needed to hear, and it helped. 
That final part of participating lovingly in our relationships is this. If we are going to offer input, then we need to be ready to receive input. If we're going to offer it, we've got to be able to receive it. We must be open. That's your last blank. We must be open. It's the old don't dish it if you can't take it principle. How many of you have ever had one of those friends or known those people who are really quick with their tongue and ready to pitch you uh, a hard time, right? All the time. They're super quick with it. It's always really funny to them. But as soon as you turn it and say something to them, oh, well, now you're not being fair. That's not very nice. Why would you say something like that? How often or how long were you friends with them? Not very long at all, right? Why? Because the relationship's out of balance. A good relationship has to have some give and some take. We have to be open so that our relationships can be balanced. We have to be like the great philosopher's super tramp said, give a little bit. Give a little bit of your love to me and I'll give a little bit of my love to you. (laughs) That's how it works. And in order to do this, we've got to be humble, right? In order to be open, we have to have a level, a level of humility. Guys, we have to remember, you don't know everything. And you never will. And that's okay. Because the truth is that you and I, we will never grow without that sort of input. Now, there's one thing, story for you, one thing that really gets under my skin really bothers me. Again, I'm a pretty easygoing guy, but there's one thing that really bothers me. We all have something like that, right? You want to know what it is? No? Yeah? Okay, don't laugh. It's being interrupted. I hate being interrupted. And I hate being interrupted because it makes me feel really unimportant. makes me feel like what I had to say wasn't important. So that really, that, that one really gets under my skin. And I say don't laugh because I also know that I'm not the best at it. I interrupt all the time. So I'm working at it. I'm working at it. But Amy and I have talked about this, so so we know it's an ongoing conversation in our marriage, as is most things, right? However, the other day, we were having a very important conversation with one of our children, and we were both very uh, excited about letting our kid know, you know, what's the right thing you got to do here, what we think. So much so that I completely bulldozed Amy right in the middle of a sentence. And, blah, 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 and, and I stopped and I apologized. Like, Sorry, continue. And my dear sweet wife looked at me and smiled and said, I sure interrupt a lot, don't I? And we laughed and it was good. It was definitely an oof moment though. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. So it was lighthearted, and we moved on. Uh, But that's exactly what I'm talking about right there. Right there at that moment, I needed to receive input from my wife, right? And it took work for me to sit there and take it, to stand there and be corrected without offering any, yeah, but. And it's so uncomfortable, isn't it? Isn't that like the most uncomfortable thing to be corrected? But because I was able to do that, I know that's why it didn't completely ruin our conversation. It didn't completely ruin our evening too. Because I, I've learned with much experience of how to just receive it. 
So all I'm saying here is for all of us, don't be surprised, you guys. Don't be surprised when someone sits you down to offer you some input. Doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It's just part of your growth process. So be open. And as we get to the end here, one thing that runs through all of these elements that we've talked about, one big thing that pulls it all together is this. As we work to lovingly participate in our relationships, we need to be reading the Bible because you can't teach what you don't know and you can't give out what you don't have. So if you want to teach and counsel and encourage and build others up, that's good. God wants us to do that. But we must be reading the Bible. And when the words of Jesus become part of our nature, then they will come out of us naturally. We'll find ourselves giving good advice based on what we've been meditating on, what we've been thinking about. And that really is where true growth and change comes from, from the Word of God. So I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to conclude together by singing one song, but as we get ready, I'd like you to just imagine with me. Put on your imagination hats, if you will, and think with me through a few few different spheres of, of your life. What could your life look like if you stepped up your game in your relationship participation? You know, what would it be like if, it, if you joined a small group? What would your friendships look like if you were both open for giving and receiving encouragement? What could your workplace look like if instead of gossiping about the other guy, you went and talked to them and gave them something that maybe they could use to change? You know, maybe they wouldn't hate you. Maybe they would be grateful. Maybe it would change the entire culture of your office. What would your marriage look like if you started implementing some active listening? Not the other, but you. What could that look like? You know, maybe like Steve talked about last week, maybe that would end that tug of war that we often have. Maybe that would start you down that road of mutual submission. And what could our world look like if we all started lovingly participating in our relationships? It's a tall order, isn't it? That's a lot. But the good news is that we don't have to do it on our own. The good news is that God is with us and has equipped us He's there and ready to help you engage in your relationships. But it takes you. Relationships take two. Let's sing.